Welcome to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. I'm Michael Kingswood and I write science fiction and fantasy. I used to be in the Navy, spent 20 years doing submarine operations, among other cool things. Learned to fly planes, learned to scuba dive, had a bunch of kids, saw the world, and I started writing fiction. In this podcast, I'm going to be sharing my stories with you in the hope that you'll have fun, and also that you'll like my stuff and come back for more and maybe help brother out with buying a book or two. So uh, sit back, relax, I'm going to tell you a story. Hey friends, I'm Michael Kingswood. It's story time. We're back at you again to uh, bring you the next episode of Outdweller, Glimbervale Chronicles number 2, read for you by the awesome Kevin Sapp. But before we do that, I wanted to give you a... update on the kingswood abode and the goings-on around here uh not a huge not a huge amount of uh, stuff to talk about except uh had some good stuff happen in the last couple days hooked up with a guy last year who really wanted uh, one of my stories for a uh, fantasy anthology magazine thing he's starting up and uh hadn't heard from him in a while but of course you know, with all the chicanery associated with uh the covid scare and government stuff and election stuff he got distracted we all did but for much of other things uh, i finally got back in touch with him and he's like oh yeah man still want that just haven't gotten around to it because it got delayed because last year sucked uh, but we're gonna do it uh send it out send the story over so i did uh so that is awesome and assuming that he still likes the story as much as he did last time he saw it um that'll be coming out in a publication later on in the year and i'll let you know more about it when it occurs for now it's not my story to tell so i'm not going to tell it yeah but that's cool feels good to continue making business progress in the writing world as well make made some progress with glimmer veil six not nearly as much as i wanted to just because interesting week it's one of those weeks where you're busy but then you get done being busy and you're like man I was really busy, but what did I do? I'm not sure if that makes any sense, but that's the kind of week it was. But and it is what it is. Uh, still, I got another thing writing to do today. Um, submitting a story tomorrow for another uh, anthology kind of thing going on, and I got to finish that story up today and get it out. So lots of stuff going on, lots of good stuff, and hope you guys had a good week too. For now, you're here to listen to the to the uh, rest, next couple chapters of the book. So let's get to it. I will talk to you on the flip side, but in the meantime, sit back, relax, as Kevin tells you a story. 5. Unexpected Visitor Any idea what did it? Julian swallowed a gulp of Molly's ale and lowered his mug back to the bar before he shrugged. Animal of some kind he replied. His companion was an older man with dark gray hair and a matching beard, who wore a cloak that was almost the same color as his hair over top the loose-fitting garments that the fishermen of Lytleton tended to favor. He sniffed and considered that for half a minute before taking a swig himself. Bad way to go, Horace said. Julian nodded agreement. The oarlock was full to overflowing, unusual considering it was the middle of the work week, But having to go about their tasks tomorrow had not stopped people from coming out to Balin's funeral, and afterwards to the various taverns to lift a mug in the dead man's honor. How many even knew who he was, Julian wondered. Not many. He had kept to himself while in town, 
and was more often to be found out in the woods than anywhere else. The only reason Julian knew him was because they happened to both like the Orlock. More people knew Ilsa, of course. And a good thing, too. With Balin gone, she would need help with their three children. Julian did not envy her the workload she had to bear. Horace drained the last of his drink and stood up from his stool. I'd best be off, he said. Got a meeting with management in the morning. His lips twisted in distaste for a moment, then he grinned wryly. Got to look respectable for them or some such? Julian snorted. You don't have that kind of time. Horace put on a look of feigned injury, then grinned even wider and clasped hands with Julian before turning to leave. Julian watched the old fisherman weave his way through the taproom and shook his head, amused. His amusement faded as Horace passed a table near the door, and its occupant. The man was small, slight, easy to dismiss. He wore a black shirt, or maybe extremely dark blue, that was open at the collar, and had loop earrings in both ears. His skin was past swarthy toward dark, like the men from the southern shores of the Great Sea, and he wore his black hair cut short around his ears and neck, but longer on his crown, so that it hung to his ears almost like vines dangling over the side of a cliff. The man's appearance was unusual enough. Few people in Lyttelton even approached his skin tone. But what truly drew Julian's eye was the staff that lay propped against the empty chair to the man's right. Long, probably longer than the man was tall. It was sanded smooth and varnished until it glinted in the light from the fireplace a few tables away. Julian frowned. He had seen men with staves like that before, in the army. Unless he missed his guess, the fellow was a mage, and a high-ranking one at that. Son of a bitch, Julian muttered. He turned back to the bar and waved Molly over. She took a minute to fill a couple of tall tankards and set them down on one of her server's trays before coming over with a friendly grin. Need to refill? Julian was about to shake his head, but he glanced down and saw that his mug was just about empty. Sure, why not? He swallowed the last gulp and pushed the mug over to her. Molly grabbed it up and retreated to the taps. A moment later she returned, foam very nearly overflowing from the top of Julian's mug. Here you go. Julian grinned his thanks and set a silver coin down on the bar. Molly's eyebrow twitched upward. Starting a tab? Julian nodded over toward the apparent mage's table. When did that fellow check in? Molly's eyes tracked over to the newcomer's table, and her grin faded slightly. This morning, little before noon. Why? Julian did not answer immediately. He took a drink while considering. The man was probably just passing through. It was not unheard of for individuals to travel the mountain passes alone in the summertime, though it was not common. If he did not linger, it would probably not be a problem, but all the same... Did he say how long he's staying? Molly's grin faded completely, becoming a concerned frown as she regarded Julian. No, but he paid enough for a week. She added a bit more force to her words. Why? Julian sighed and stood up, taking his mug with him. He's a mage, he said. Molly's eyebrow quirked upward, but he could see she did not understand the issue. Send over another of whatever he's drinking, will you? She nodded, and Julian turned away. As he walked over to the stranger, he felt almost as though he was getting ready for battle. He weaved past several intervening tables, watching the mage carefully as he went. The man appeared to be taking his ease, munching on a plate of Molly's signature fish cakes and watching the goings-on around him with an expression of mild amusement. And why not? People watching could be entertaining, especially when they had some drink on. But as he got closer... Julian noted that the amusement on the mage's face did not translate over to his eyes, 
which were sharp, watchful, piercing. The mage noted Julian's approach and turned to regard him, his eyes tracing up and down Julian's body in a quick once-over that lingered on the badge of office he wore. Something in the mage's demeanor shifted upon seeing the badge, becoming more stiff in a subtle way that Julian probably would not have noticed had he not been watching. Constable, the mage said by way of greeting, and inclined his head politely. Well, the badge was good for something, at least. Good evening, Julian said, and gestured toward the other empty seat at the mage's table. Not the one holding his staff upright. Might if I join you for a moment? He smiled to show that he meant no imposition. Of course, replied the mage. Always happy to make the acquaintance of a public servant. Julian smirked as he sat. Don't know I'd call myself that. He set his mug down and held out his hand to the mage. Julian Hinderbrook. The mage looked at his hand for a second before clasping it. Lauren Havisted. We don't get many members of the Magisterium coming through, Julian said, still grinning. Just figured I'd welcome you to town. Lauren's eyebrows lifted. In surprise, Julian was sure. Not many people in places like this would know a member of the Magisterium by sight. The question, unstated, hung in the air for a moment. Julian shrugged and took a sip from his mug. Haven't always lived here. Ah. A serving girl came around to the table, carrying a glass that was halfway filled with an amber fluid on her tray. She made a shallow curtsy and set the glass down in front of Lauren, then turned away to continue her rounds. Miss, I... It's on me, Julian interjected. Lauren looked at Julian through narrowed eyes for a moment, then inclined his head in a seated half-bow. Thank you, he said blandly. My pleasure. So, Julian took another sip before continuing. I'm sure the mayor would love to meet you, give his regards to your order, that sort of thing. Will you be in town long? A slight shrug of his shoulders preceded Lauren's reply. Just long enough to see my business through, then I will be off. And what business is that? Lauren's eyes hardened. None of yours, Constable, I assure you. That was plain enough. Fine, if that was how he wanted to play it. I don't mean to pry, Julian said, redoubling his efforts at grinning. The mayor's a busy man, as you know. I wouldn't want him to miss the opportunity to say hello. The drink Julian bought lay on the table between them, untouched. Lauren never looked at it, just at Julian, his gaze intent, probing. Julian made a point of not meeting his eyes directly. Rumor had it that a mage could read your thoughts if he looked into your eyes for too long. And that would not do at all if the rumor was true. He would have to ask Melanie about that when he saw her. Damn it. Don't go there. Finally, Lauren smiled again, ever so slightly. I expect I will be in town for two or three days, maybe a short while longer. I trust that will give the mayor sufficient time to clear his schedule? Julian nodded. Almost certainly. I'll have the mayor's office leave word with Mistress Millens as to the best time, if that will suffice. Lauren nodded more a gesture of concession to an inferior than an agreement between equals. Julian had to stop himself from scowling in annoyance at the sheer arrogance of it. Well then, I'll leave you to your entertainment. Julian stood and made a half-bow to the mage, his grin still plastered to his face. Thank you, Constable. I look forward to our next meeting. Not really, Lauren's eyes said. Julian turned away and walked back to the bar. There, he drained the rest of his mug in a long, smooth swallow. Then he set it down and turned to leave the inn. It was not until the front door swung shut behind him that he realized he had just left Molly and her girls one hell of a tip. 
Oh well. He had more pressing matters to attend to. He just hoped Melanie would be sensible about this. 6. The Down Low Radric knocked once, then pushed open the door to Melanie's mystical crafts and stepped inside. Julian followed on his seals, a sense of urgency competing with profound reluctance for dominance in his head. How Melanie would react to Lauren's presence was hard to say, but in her place, Julian would probably be packing to leave town fairly quickly. The Magisterium did not deal kindly with outsiders who practiced their craft, and Melanie, as a woman, was an outsider by definition. Julian was not sure what irked him more, the stupidity of that policy, or the thought of Melanie leaving. They had become good friends over the last several months. Well, friends, anyway. Or maybe trusted acquaintances and colleagues. Or something. Regardless, it would be hard to see Melanie go, even if it was necessary for her own protection. And she had done so well for herself here. Her shop lay at the northeastern edge of town, away from the lake and from casual attention from non-locals. The small building had once been an old spinster's house, but it had fallen vacant when the poor woman passed on, in late spring. There had been a small squabble among her surviving relatives, two brothers with enough wrinkles between them to make a prune appear smooth, over who would get the house afterwards. Melanie had solved that by plopping down enough coin to satisfy them both, and that was that. She had to have paid more than the place was worth, though she denied it, although Julian supposed maybe the two brothers were secretly relieved to put the silly conflict behind them. Regardless, it was a quick transaction, and within a few weeks, Melanie opened up her shop. The door swung shut behind Julian, and he paused for a moment, taking in the ambience. Symbols and words of power, or at least of spiritual significance, decorated the walls, up high near where they joined with the ceiling. Bottles containing remedies and the like rested upon a shelf off to the right. Directly across from the door, pendants and other trinkets, all bearing pentagrams or other symbols of power, were on display. A small bookshelf sat in the middle of the shop, partially full with tomes that were decorated with strange texts and symbols. The heavy odor of incense lay over it all, from the burner which sat behind the counter to the left, on top of a strong box that Melanie claimed held her most rare, powerful, and valuable items. Julian had to hand it to Melanie. She did not play around. She aimed for mystical and went well past it into almost weird. Not that he would ever tell her that straight out. The memory of a quartet of mounted men and their horses suddenly erupting into flame with the flick of her wrist sprang to mind. Best not to make her really angry. Julian snorted to himself. That was just silly. They were friends, after all. Nevertheless, he could not help but remember the strength and power that lay beneath Melanie's decidedly appealing exterior. Her feminine wiles concealed a deadly and cunning opponent, if one was unfortunate enough to get on her bad side. Where is... No sooner had the words left Radric's lips than Melanie stepped into the shop, from a small doorway in the left rear corner, behind the counter, that was enclosed by hanging beads. Tall and lush, Melanie was, as always, dressed impeccably. Today she wore a flowing dark blue gown that was cut tight at her waist and flared below her hips. The collar was ruffled in a lighter shade of blue, almost white, and cut low enough to reveal a hint of her impressive cleavage. A simple black leather belt with a silver clasp, from which hung a small knife that rested over her left hip, set off the dress and further accentuated her curves. A silver necklace and earrings completed her ensemble. Wavy dark brown hair hung just past her shoulders, and her eyes, just slightly lighter in color than her dress, shone with intellect and confidence. Well, well, Melanie said in her melodious alto, my two favorite lawmen. 
She smiled warmly, an eyebrow quirking upward to accentuate the teasing tone she took. To what do I owe this pleasure? Radric shared a glance with Julian, then cleared his throat. Not sure if it's a pleasure this time. Melanie's smile faded slightly, but she remained silent, her eyes questioning. A mage from the Magisterium is in town. Checked into the Orlock yesterday, and he looks to stay for a while. The smile left Melanie's face completely, and she looked from Radric to Julian, the questioning look more intense of anything. He nodded in confirmation. And now for the panic. He should have known better. Melanie looked gravely at the two of them for a moment, then said, Who? Radric blinked and looked at Julian meaningfully for a moment, then nodded, as though he was not going to tell her. Lauren Haverstead, Julian said levelly. Melanie nodded and looked away. She licked her lips as she thought for a moment. Then she burst out laughing. Julian traded another look with Radric. The former squad leader scrunched up his eyes the way he always did when he got confused. Julian could not say he blamed him. The Magisterium was famously protective of its secrets. No one, especially a woman, would be allowed to walk free once learning them. Lauren was a clear and present danger to Melanie's well-being. And yet, she laughed. And kept on laughing for a full minute. Finally, she stopped and wiped the beginnings of tears from her eyes. Tears of mirth, of course. Then, shaking her head, she said, Honestly, boys, do you think I've never been in the same town as a member of the Magisterium before? Uh, well, Radric began. We just thought, Julian said at the same time. Melanie rolled her eyes in annoyance. Don't worry about him. I'll be fine. She was capable, that was for sure. But this was a serious problem. She must not have understood. You don't understand. This guy... Melanie's eyes flashed to anger in an instant, and she fixed Julian with a glare that stopped his words in his throat. No, you don't understand. Those men, she said the word like a pejorative, see only what they wish to see. Women cannot be mages, so they are not. All a woman must do is surround herself with the superstitious trappings of a cottage wise woman, or whatever they call them in whatever shanty town they happen to be in, and the magisterium will just see a peddler of nonsense and think nothing more of it. Julian chewed on that for a moment, and looked back around the shop again. Come to think of it, most of the products Melanie had up on display strongly resembled others he had seen in any number of home remedy shops, fortune tellers' parlors, and the like. He found himself pursing his lips in appreciation as he really saw the place for what it was. A quite convincing front. Except... People in town know you're more than just some woman selling herbs and water that don't do anything, Radric said. They've seen you work. Melanie sniffed and waved a dismissive hand. This isn't a grand metropolis, Radric. Her eyes flicked toward Julian and some of her smile reappeared. You acknowledged that when you asked me to stay. No better place to hide than in a small town, isn't that what you said? Julian swallowed, the concern still heavy in his chest. Yes, but I didn't mean... Ask yourself this. How likely do you think the people in this town are to sell out someone who they know is responsible for saving their homes and families from depredation, and who they know can exact terrible vengeance upon them if they do? Another good point. If anything, the people of Lyttelton looked at Melanie with even more awe than they did Radric and Julian, and that was saying something. And they were good, honest, hard-working folk for the most part. Julian found himself nodding in understanding, and agreement. They would not... Not if they could help it. 
Melanie returned the nod, her smile growing ever so slightly. I have been discreet in the aid I've lent since the battle. No one has borne witness save the people I've helped, and the things I've done were personal enough that they won't come forward to tell about them, I assure you. Radric looked abashed, probably no less than Julian did. He felt like enough of an ass anyway. Of course Melanie would know how to hide in plain sight. She had been doing it for... Come to think of it, Julian had no idea how long she had been on the run, before she settled here in Lyttelton. It was probably just as well. All right, Radric said, trying to regain some authority, or at least dignity, with his tone. Just wanted you to know he was here so you could take steps. He gave a rather lame-looking smile. Melanie rolled her eyes again, but her smile became more warm. I appreciate your concern. She glanced at Julian, and her smile widened a hair. Both of you. But I'm a big girl. I can take care of myself. There was not much else to say in response, so Julian did not bother to try. Neither did Radric. A few moments later, they hit the streets again. By his expression, Radric felt just as silly as Julian did. Some heroes they were. Melanie pushed the door shut behind Radric and Julian. The click of the latch seemed to echo through the small front room of her shop, conveying a sense of finality. Of doom. She sagged against the door, and her head fell limply against its surface. Fear, anger, despair, and a red-hot desire for vengeance all battled within her for a long moment. Unbidden, tears left her eyes and ran down her cheeks then dropped and fell to the floor with inaudible splats that seemed to echo through her consciousness. Lauren was here. Melanie drew a deep breath, trying to get control of herself. She was better than this. Timon had taught her better. But try though she might, the only things she could think of were the last time she saw Timon, bound and gagged, his eyes tight with agony as the Magisterium's questioners began their work on him, and the look on the vigilant's face beatific, full of a righteous ecstasy that only the most fanatical, most hateful of people could attain. She wanted to kill him. She needed to flee from him. Melanie let her breath out, and, unbidden, a loud sob escaped her lips. Before she knew it, she was weeping. Weeping for her lost love, who had risked and, in the end, given everything so that her curiosity could be sated. And weeping for herself. She had dared to hope that here she could find refuge. Here she could find peace and maybe happiness. And perhaps even love. But no longer. The man who killed Timon was here. And he would find her. And then he would kill her. Brutally and without mercy. Of that, Melanie had no doubt. The notion of flight crossed her mind. And she shrugged it away. Fleeing never helped those the Magisterium set out to destroy. Not once the Inquisitors had their scent. It was only a matter of when and where. The only reason she had lived long enough to get here was because Timon had kept quiet about her. He must have. Of that she had no doubt. But they would be looking for a woman who practiced majory, and word must have gotten out from somewhere that there was such a woman here in Lyttelton. She was caught. Well and truly caught. The noose just had not tightened yet. Unless she could turn the tables. Melanie blinked away the tears and lifted her head off of the wooden planks that made up her shop's door. She had not considered that. Perhaps Vigilant Haverstead had not yet fully discerned her location. If that were the case, 
he may not yet be ready to strike. He would be unprepared. Vulnerable. Melanie's lips turned slightly upwards as the thought lifted some of her despair. She may yet be able to salvage the situation, but she would have to move quickly. Okay, so the plot thickens around Lyttelton. Man, if only there was a way to know what was going to happen in the book if, without waiting till next week. Oh, that's right, you could go buy it from my website, or from Amazon, or Kobo, or Barnes & Noble, or any of the other places you can get ebooks or print books, or audiobooks. But I get the most money if you come to my website, so go there first. But, you know, if you don't want to buy the book, that's cool, come back here next week. Tell all your friends to come back too, so they can get some of the awesome sword and sorcery audio goodness. Send me a tip at the website at least, or, you know, not. Hope you guys come back next week. Hope you enjoyed this one. Until we talk again, don't do anything I wouldn't do. Thanks for listening to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. You can find me online at michaelkingswood.com. I'm also on Facebook and Twitter. My web store is ssnstorytelling.com, where you can find all my books in your favorite formats. Purchasing through the web store nets me the most profit, but if you prefer, I'm also on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, and all the other usual e-tailers. If you want to learn about new releases, sign up for my mailing list through the contact form at my website. I guarantee not to spam you, only send an email when I have some news to share. Storytime with Michael Kingswood is copyright of Michael Kingswood. Intro and outro music copyright Gene Paul Zogby, licensed through stockmusic.net. All rights reserved.